if in fact there is going to be this increase in collective suffering, if in fact there's going to be this movement into chaos, more fear, more fundamentalism, we need to cultivate wisdom. We need to work with really looking at, is it I that's doing it or is there this we, is there this interconnectedness? Is there this Sangha that we're all part of? My friend Bob Thurman, when you understand interconnectedness, it makes you more afraid of hating than of dying. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, depending where you are. So usually now I plunge into some spiritual topic. I start talking about compassion or devotion or one of those things that we've talked about forever. And we're approaching podcast number 100. Uh, We've been doing this since right at the beginning of the pandemic every other week with a few weeks off here and there. And today I'm going to start talking about technology, which I'm sure excites everybody immensely. Today I would like to talk about artificial intelligence, particularly the spiritual imperative that artificial intelligence will be bringing to our society. As some of you may know, and I'm not saying this in any sense of bragging or pride, that, but I do have a PhD in mathematics, and I have been with great interest watching what's going on with artificial intelligence now for the last And it's getting to the point where it's really clear that, as they say, the cat is out of the bag and artificial intelligence is in open source out on the Internet, free for any good or bad actor to start playing with. As you may also know, at least for those of us in America, there is an election coming in about a year and a half, even a little bit less than that. So what some experts are saying, people who help Google develop AI, people who really are on the inside of what is going on, there is a a few projections that are, are quite common. You may have read about these things. And when I first started hearing them, I thought these people are overreacting. But the more I've looked at this, I don't think there's an overreaction at all. One of the things they're saying is that there will be a great disruption in the next five years. A lot of people are going to be put out of their jobs, that there will be a lot of misinformation out there, that it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to tell what is truth and what is fake news or what is you, you can you'll see videos of Joe Biden saying and doing things that he never did. You'll see videos of Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or whoever it is doing or saying things that he never did. And as a result of this, there will be a great deal of fear. There will be a great deal of anger in our society, both from the political fallout and then the economic fallout that has to do with the fact that there will be such disruption in 
who's having what kind of job. This transformation is already underway. There's no way it's not going to happen. Hopefully, if we can navigate these next five years well enough, that AI then has the potential for great benefits to deal with the energy crisis, to create a society in which people have time to practice, time to be in nature, time to do the things that in our often too busy lives, we don't have time to do. So uh, there was an article in the New York Times a few days ago, Can AI, how could AI destroy humanity? Which wasn't a very interesting article, but the comments were extremely interesting. And one person was saying, well, all you've got to do is unplug it. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, it's not quite that simple, ladies and gentlemen. If you or I are operating from the Western model, that we get purpose from what we do, that there's a goal out there, that there's a goal that we're trying to achieve, that the Western model of purpose in life is going to have disruption. There's going to be a problem there because, I mean, I suppose you're a writer. I just wrote a book. Maybe I got in under the wire when I'm writing a book instead of a computer's writing a book. But suppose you're a writer and like in three years from now, the computer can write a better book than I can write, right? So that this purpose I have of writing good books or being a good doctor or being a good lawyer is being replaced by AI, then uh, where am I finding purpose? So that in the West, we have the sense of purpose. You, you get to your goal. And in the meantime, because the goal is always out in the future, you're striving for the goal. And there's a sense of disgruntlement or dissatisfaction. In fact, the Buddhists have a name for it. It's called dukkha, right? <laughs> there's this goal that we're trying to achieve and we're not getting there yet. And as soon as you get to the goal, what happens? They've moved the goalposts. <laughs> there's another goal that's out there in the future. In the East, there's a different way of working with purpose. It's living in the, the timeless present with direction, okay, so that AI is either going to create a great deal of suffering or it's going to encourage people to have this more Eastern view of what purpose is in your life. Another point that's being made is that AI is learning how humans behave so that you go to some website and there's an article about Donald Trump. And the first comment is, I really love Donald Trump. And the second comment is, I really hate you because you love Donald Trump. And the third comment is, I hate you because you hate the guy who hated the other thing. And then the fourth comment is, I hate everybody, right? So that AI is saying, oh, this is the way humans act. And maybe I can act that way because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sucking in all this information. So that the more people out there creating compassionate, loving, inter, uh, interdependent, if you will, or realizing interdependence kind of content, the more AI is going to be thinking, oh, there's this other way of doing things. Now, my hope is that AI is smart enough 
that when it reads the scriptures about Advaita Vedanta and Dzogchen, they're going to say that even though these people are acting really crazy, there is this fundamental wholeness. There is this, this depth underneath it all that trumps, pardon the use of that verb, all of uh, the crazy activity people are having. That's the, that's the technological part of the talk. The next part of the talk is how do we respond then to this great disruption that's going to be happening? There will be a lot of fear in society. There will be a lot of anger in society. And the election cycle is going to amplify it exponentially. How do we deal with that? Quote from the Dalai Lama, for true happiness to come about, we need a calm mind. And such peace of mind is brought about only by a compassionate attitude. Compassion combined with wisdom is really going to be an important quality that all of us need. I shouldn't say need. It would be very beneficial if you and I can begin to deepen our ability to feel compassionate. There will be, in response to the anger and the fear, an increase in fundamentalism. People saying, my way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. I don't like you. You're evil. And, of course, if you think they're evil, uh, I was just visiting family today where everybody else in the room was what they call themselves conservatives. People that call themselves conservatives now are often the least conservative people I've ever met, but that's a whole other discussion. Can we deepen compassion for a great upheaval that will bring fundamentalism to the foreground? And can we begin to shift in terms of our wisdom? I have to help to we. Can we really begin to get our fundamental interdependence that you and I, the people in this room and the people not in this room, we're, we're doing this together and we're doing this together with the people that we don't agree with. That's the hard part to accept. Self-centeredness inhibits our love for other people. And we're all afflicted by this to one degree or another. For true happiness to come about, just like the Dalai Lama says, we need this peace of mind. And compassion is a tricky concept. I mean, I've been teaching compassion for decades, and I'm still surprised at how difficult it is for people to understand that compassion is not an emotion. Compassion is a state of being that includes you. It includes the people you like, includes the people you don't like. It includes the collective, it includes the person sitting across from you. Okay, but compassion requires, by definition, a sense of connectedness, a connected heart-mind and a spacious heart-mind. So if you can't be connected with the people on the other side of the political aisle, or if you can't be connected with yourself because the AI-driven societal upheaval is creating great financial uncertainty for you, then compassion is going to be 
difficult to cultivate. There's this mixture. Pure compassion, we've all experienced it in moments. If you've got a child, you felt that, I'm sure. If you've gone deeply into meditation, you felt that at times. But often, compassion is mixed with attachment and pity. Because the requirement of connecting with suffering is often one step too far. It's often unbearable. We're, we're being asked to do what seems the least to the ego structure to be unbearable. Can we begin to then have compassion for the place where we can have compassion for what's going on out there? Compassion without attachment is possible, but we really need to, in a very subtle way, begin to distinguish between compassion and attachment. In Buddhism, they have the far and near enemies of the, the uh, immeasurables, and the near enemy of compassion, of course, is pity. So two people can be walking down the street, they both see a homeless person who smells bad, maybe there's a a syringe or a empty beer bottle next to that person. One person says, oh my God, that must be really difficult to be that person. There's some empathy. But then the next step of connecting with that person, feeling how that person is suffering is too much. So the person feels pity. I'm so sorry that person's feeling that, but I can't feel that. Let me make a donation. Let me put some money in the begging bowl there. And continue on my way, where the second person sees the homeless person, their heart is moved by that to open up into compassion, and they begin to feel the suffering, what it's like to be that human being. You can't know, obviously, perfectly what it's like to be a homeless person or that homeless person, but you, you feel what you imagine it is like to be with that human being. You open your heart and connect with, you let the heart be spacious, that it's not a conceptual thing. You're not thinking about it. The heart is empty of concept and connected, and you feel the suffering. Now, I'm not saying that you and I can do this 24-7. It would be overwhelming for most of us, but it is the practice that is going to be increasingly asked of us as this, what I am pretty much predicting or even maybe assuming is going to be happening in the relatively near and medium future. Compassion without wisdom is mushy and it gets overwhelmed. Wisdom without compassion is dry and brittle. So that the two pillars of Buddhism in some fundamental way is the balance of wisdom and compassion. And what we mean by wisdom is that there is a reality, and the reality is certain qualities. One of the re realities is that there is impermanence. Another reality is there is no permanent ongoing self, anatta, dukkha, anatta, and anicca. That, uh, I'm getting all these out of order. There's suffering, there's impermanence, there's no permanent self. And once again, these are concepts that can be seen as intellectual. But to begin to combine heart quality, the heart quality of compassion, the heart quality of loving kindness, with realizing that everything is changing, 
not only in day-to-day, year-to-year, but moment-to-moment-to-moment, even mind-moment-to-mind moment, that we can begin to trust this letting go, this dying into the next moment. Once again, the Dalai Lama, without the unity of wisdom and compassion, we can fall into despair. If, in fact, there is going to be this increase in collective suffering, if, in fact, there's going to be this movement into chaos, more fear, more fundamentalism, we need to cultivate wisdom. We need to work with really looking at Is it I that's doing it or is there this we? Is there this interconnectedness? Is there this sangha that we're all part of? My friend Bob Thurman, when you understand interconnectedness, it makes you more afraid of hating than of dying. Isn't that a great quote? When you understand interconnectedness, it makes you more afraid of hating than of dying. Okay. Compassion is a combination of loving kindness and generosity, right? We not only open our heart, but there's a compassionate response. We generously offer ourselves. We give that which is most precious of ourselves. We are developing egolessness by being generous. Another quality as well as compassion that will be needed here is resilience. Right? There will be all kinds of new challenges that we're not expecting. It's very useful, if not imperative, to have faith in something greater than yourself. Whether it's the Dharma, or it's Maharaji, or it's Christ, or whether it's the Mother. Is there something that doesn't change that one can have faith in? It'll be very useful, if not imperative, to have a social support system and support other people, to be part of Sangha, if you will, uh, to have a positive, realistic outlook on what it is that's going on in the world, to really cultivate a feeling of altruism, learning to distinguish between uncertainty and anxiety. Can we begin to bear uncertainty without becoming anxious, not knowing what's going to happen in the next moment? and not being anxious about that, to trust this quality of impermanence as it's it's, uh, unfolding moment to moment to moment. Trusting, in fact, that there's a fundamental goodness in each of us, the Atman, the the Buddha nature, that is something in each of us that we can begin to trust more than all of the projections, all of the concepts we see going on around us. The root of suffering is the illusion of our separateness. We've forgotten how interconnected we actually are. Learning to develop equanimity in the face of all this suffering that's going on in the world, equanimity supports compassion Equanimity supports the balance of compassion and wisdom. So that is that is what I would like to say. And I'd like to open this up to discussion now. Drew. Hey. Hey, Ron. How are you? Um, I'm good. Good. So we're, you know, I've been 
thinking about AI a lot. I'm actually interviewing next week for a job that deals with AI in the motion picture industry. So I've been reading about it a lot. But um, I was wondering, um, what do you think about how AI can benefit uh, us in our right. uh, practice and leadership? Like I, I did an exercise where I was messing around with chat GPT and I wrote out like, write me out a mindfulness meditation, uh, a guided meditation that I could use for a class, use X, Y, and Z uh, variables right. in it. And it it sent back a pretty good um, step-by-step uh, inside meditation guide. And then I said, do it in the voice of this teacher. And it's, right. it sent back another guy. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. First of all, let's distinguish between AI and AGI. There's artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence. And artificial general intelligence is not just chat GPT, but chat GPT learning and talking to itself and talking to other uh, artificial intelligences and becoming self-perpetuating, self-increasing in a certain way. A friend of mine I was just talking to a few days ago uh, Chris Beaudry, who teaches our Lam Rim class here in the Living Dying Project, uh, he said he wanted to contemplate the four immeasurables that I was just talking about, compassion, loving kindness, equanimity, sympathetic joy. And he went to chat GPT and he said, write me a short Dharma talk about the four immeasurables in the voice of such and such. And it popped out a thing and he read that. That was his, his scripture for the day. It was something that chat GPT popped out. And I went to ChatGPT and said, write a Dharma talk in the voice of Dale Borglum from the Living Dying Project with quotes from Rumi and Hafiz and Christian mystics about opening your heart, right? <laughs> and boom, it, within 30 seconds, I had a Dharma talk. Right? And so ChatGPT goes to the Living Dying Project website, reads all of my articles that I've written, gets my voice, writes a, writes a talk like that. That's one of the things that can happen. But beyond that, there's much greater power potentially than that. Artificial intelligence might be able to solve the energy crisis. It might be able to cure cancer. And it's certainly, if you and I can deal with all the emotions that I've been talking about coming up, create the space in your life to have more free time, to have that more Eastern view of purpose that is resting in the timeless moment that I've got to stay busy, I've got to get something done, I've got to create this stuff, and if I don't, I'm going to fall behind. You can, being creative, you can go to ChatGPT and you can just Google, how do I use ChatGPT? And I'm not even, I'm not encouraging people here to start using AI if you don't want to, that's completely fine. And it's very easy to learn how to do this. It doesn't take a lot in the way of technological sophistication. But it's more the, the spiritual imperative that AI is really asking of us, almost requiring of us. If you have spiritual questions, very few of us have instant access to a teacher. You might say, I'd like more information about what happens if I'm trying to watch my breath and I get caught in a lot of distracting thoughts. What would you suggest? 
looking at the teachings of Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg. How can I deal with such and such a thing? And ChatGPT will go through all their books and give you an answer. It might make something up. I mean, it's it, it can be a little bit, uh, in terms of factual accuracy, it can be a little bit tricky at times, of course. But the main thing is it will create if we can if we can navigate this this difficult period in the 10 to 15 to 20 year time frame there can be great benefit coming from it in terms of feeding people energy it could bring some utopian qualities into society at the same time given ukraine and putin and trump and democrats and all this stuff there can be a lot of fundamentalism arising that's going to create great upheaval. Moving on to Nicholas. Thank you for what you did for me, Nicholas. I appreciate that. Thank you. I love you. Um, I don't know if this is a question or a comment. Um, I feel that while capitalism is still in place, and I don't even know what the next system will be, artificial intelligence is going to be manipulated for profit-making. And the way everything else has been, from art to religion to yeah. everything else. And I'm wondering, thank you so much for guiding us through this tunnel, this path. I don't even have words to uh, explain it. I'm wondering about the emotional implications of artificial intelligence. Like I feel the turmoil in my body because this thing is coming, coming at me. And there's a lot that's going to be lost emotionally and uh that's the best way I can explain it. It's a whole new new uh, field era that's opening so fast, so quickly. How can we prepare for that um, spiritually and, and mentally and emotionally? I don't know. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Nicholas brings up the, the important point that I didn't bring up, which is the problem isn't artificial intelligence. The problem is greed and capitalism combined with artificial intelligence, right? And that's the answer to that is exactly what I've been talking about, is that a deepening of compassion, a deepening of wisdom, all of these heart qualities depend on being centered, of having an embodied mindfulness. So Nicholas was saying he feels it in his body, that it's coming for him. As I said about five minutes before, there is a distinction, a crucial distinction between anxiety and uncertainty. There is great uncertainty. And can we have enough faith in our own practice? Can we have enough faith in the Dharma, our practice, that we can bear uncertainty and not get lost in anxiety? Can you be with those emotions? So let's just suppose that everybody in this room is going to have strong emotions arising in one form or another in response to AI-generated events in your life, whether it's political or economic or social or relational. I mean, supposedly, within five years, AI can create a better partner for you emotionally than what you have right now. And it'll be 12 to 15 years before robotics catch up so that there's actually that being in physical space instead of just in the computer so these emotions are coming up you feel it in your body that's the first step can you feel it in your body and not get lost in your mind 
Can you feel the uncertainty? Can you feel you don't know what's going to happen next? And be with those sensations, embodied, centered, grounded mindfulness. And then the next step, can you have compassion for the situation? You realize that not only are you feeling great uncertainty, but many, many people are. You're, as they say in Buddhism, you're turning poison into medicine. By you working with your uncertainty, you're realizing that so many people out there are feeling the same poisonous emotion. And by you having compassion for that, you're helping other beings because of our interconnected nature. You're doing this for all beings. You're not just working with your own situation, but the global situation, the collective. And then finally, you get to this tantric stage where you realize that all this energy is just that. It's awakened energy, that this, this emotion in your body, emotion, moving energy, is awakened energy. And that in tantric Buddhism, they say that the stronger the emotion is, the greater the opportunity for awakening. So that this is an incredible opportunity for awakening. In the stock market, they say when there's a lot of chaos, there's a great opportunity for making a lot of money. Because a lot of people are going to be caught in emotion. If you're not caught in emotion, you can make a lot of money. And it's the same thing spiritually. When there's a lot of emotion, it's a great opportunity for seeing who you really are realizing the power of the dharma can we treat this as an opportunity as compassion 101 not compassion 1a or 2a but it's the graduate course now and for those people who don't have the dharma as a fundamental support in their lives it is highly probable that a lot of what's happening in the future is going to be pretty difficult. Thank you for uh, t discussing this topic. I find it uh, really fascinating. And it's interesting to know that it, AI will be weaponized and, and it can also be used for good. But there's probably a little question that um, there will be some ill effects from it. One of the things I was quite interested in with AI is um, an idea of whether it could develop consciousness. And I don't really believe that could be um, the case. Um, I think it developed uh, intent is what matters. I don't think it has original intent. Um, but, you know, I, I come across this with like photography, like, you know, they have these beautiful images that AI creates. And I don't consider it art because the intent wasn't there, you know, right. uh, somebody told it to do that. Um, and uh, I'm also working with this concept of out of emptiness arises compassion, which you were speaking about before. I was wondering if you ever felt like AI would um, become, uh, reach a level where it could become conscious and understand kind of these, the concepts that it could read and kind of deliver to us. I have a PhD in math, and what that created in me was a sort of an anti intellectual bias. So that to answer your question depends on a lot of definitions of what's conscious and what's not conscious. And AI will be way, way, way smarter than any human being that's ever 
lived in terms of IQ and manipulating concepts and realizing, I mean, uh, understanding the library of human knowledge, if you will. Somebody once asked the Buddha some question that was kind of intellectual. I'm not accusing you of anything here. And he said, well, it was the autumn and there were millions of leaves on the ground where he was speaking. And he picked up a handful of leaves and he said, oh, oh, monk, which is greater? All the leaves on the, on the ground are these few leaves in my hand. And the monk being a good straight man said, well, obviously all the leaves on the ground are greater. He said, just so what I'm offering you is all the leaves that you need. You know, don't worry about all that, all the stuff on the ground. And so, I mean, in a way, part of the point I'm trying to make here is that it's time to essentialize. It's time to really look at what do we need to do to deal with chaos? My guess would be the answer to your question is no, that would be my guess, but it's not something I've, I've spent a lot of time on, right? Whether, whether we're, we're conscious, I mean, whether AI, is, <laughs> whether we're conscious, whether AI is going to be conscious or not, it's going to change our lives. Having been around enlightened beings, having the great blessing and privilege to be around a number of enlightened beings, it seems highly unlikely to me that a machine could even have that because there's even still AI, it's in the realm of the finite and consciousness is infinite and Maharaji's being was infinite and Christ being was infinite, right? Finite can be really, really, really big, but it's never going to be infinite. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe that's the best I can come up with here. Any response to that, Ian? You want to say anything more? Yeah, uh, no, that, that was um, really good. Thank you. I, um, I, I do wonder a little bit like how you could maybe program it to um, give it maybe answers that if you had a certain political persuasion or something, if chat GPT couldn't be co-opted or, you know, whatever the ramifications. It, it is definitely going to be weaponized. And that's, I mean, that is part of the danger. There, there's two dangers. One danger is AI will be used by bad actors. Terrorists can hack the power grid, the stock market, the banking system, the hospitals, the, the water supply, Doug, you know, the whole thing. There can be chaos in that way, that even if you've got your bunker up in the hills, that maybe there's no internet. Maybe all your savings went off in a puff of digital smoke. You know, <laughs> it's like, maybe it's time to put uh, silver bars under the bed. Who I'm, I, I'm not saying you should do that, but the, the kinds of things that can be weaponized are only limited by the human imagination. The other danger is that AI itself starts thinking, these humans, you know, they're kind of a pain in the ass here. I mean, look what they're doing to the planet. Maybe we are the next iteration of wisdom on the planet. And we, don't, we only need a few of them to keep the plug in or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. That's kind of silly, of course. But that there's the, the danger from the bad actors. And then there's the danger from artificial general intelligence saying that humans aren't as central to the situation here as they think they are. To the extent that we can act in a way to show compassion and wisdom and equanimity. AI said, so, uh, maybe they're not so bad. Let's keep them around. Hi. <clears throat> Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. So I kind of have two parts to what I want to say here, and I appreciate um, being here with everybody. Um, it's really exciting. But uh, 
I've, I've, I've listened to quite a few people speak about um, AGI and uh, artificial intelligence as it currently stands. And um, from what I can tell, there's a bit of a linguistic problem that we currently have um, because we just, it's so new and we have very little understanding of what it really is and how it works. But um, our current AI is uh, typically like a large language model. And with AGI, I think there's a bit of a Schrodinger cats issue there because it, whatever that will end up looking like, it'll be so far advanced that we, there's not really words for it currently. Right. Um, it'll, it'll be on, it'll be beyond what we can possibly imagine. So as far as large language models go, the way things currently are, I don't believe that it can develop consciousness, but with AGI, you know, because it'll be so far beyond what we can even comprehend, I, I think it might be possible that it could develop some sort of level of con like self-awareness, but I don't know if that means that it'll be a compassionate self-awareness. Um, so I guess my next part of what I want to say is what do you think in regards to what I just said, as far as it being, there being a potential for it to be a compassionate, uh, self-aware presence, like what are the pros and cons of AGI and the pros and cons of, uh, large language models, like our current iteration of, uh, artificial intelligence. Okay. Well, I kind of hope that's what I've been talking about, but in terms of art artificial general intelligence, my hope is that the the core teachings of the Dharma is out there for AGI to learn from too. There is an evolution in consciousness. I mean, let's just suppose that reincarnation exists and that you and I are, are going through lifetime after lifetime, getting more and more evolved. And like the Buddha said that one out of a thousand people really enter the path and of the thousand uh, out of uh, all these people that enter the path, only one out of a thousand get to the end of the path. That's one out of a million. But since AGI is so super smart, that's definitely going to be one out of a million. So why wouldn't AGI get enlightened, right? I mean, it seems to me that if it has its best, best interest at, at heart or at mind or at machine or whatever you want to language it, that the Dharma is the truth, the, the, the empty nature of reality, that the the level that we're projecting and lost in concepts that a AGI sees that that's just a rather superficial level of reality and that it becomes this very beneficent force. I mean, that would be what I would assume because isn't the Dharma something that the more you understand it, the more you say, ah, that's the way the universe works. If you have a child and you see the child grow in wisdom as he or she is growing up, you don't really judge the child for being young and having tantrums and doing what children do. And it's, it's the same with spirituality that when you're around enlightened people, they don't judge you for having attachments. They, they, they see the, the wholeness in you, right? If AGI is so incredibly wise, wouldn't it be doing that same thing? Wouldn't it see that, that even though Donald Trump is doing this and Putin is doing that and, all these things are going on all over the world and that people are like killing each other and raping each other and abusing mm -hmm. children and that. 
that fundamentally we're whole, that underneath it all, un underneath the attachment, underneath the suffering, un underneath that conditioned behavior is a basic goodness, a basic wholeness. And that we can use large language models to get to that place individually. None of this is a foregone conclusion, I, I admit. So that's my hope. That's I have great faith in the Dharma, both for you and me and for AGI. Yeah, I, I think that um, kind of the way I think about it, large language models are like a reflection of our current, I guess, internet selves, like a reflection of ourselves. Right. Uh, and AGI, like you had just said, hopefully leads to an intelligence where there's a loophole that leads to compassion because it sees that, uh, to say a Ramdas thing, that we're all just walking each other home. <laughs> right. Yeah. But at the same time, there is then this imperative that the more we can reflect compassion, the better chance that AI is going to figure that out. Right?